0: RunAsRadio.com, you're listening to Run As Radio, the internet audio talk show for IT professionals with Richard Campbell. This is Brandon Wen announcing show number 557, Security Guidance and Sysinternals Internals Update, with guest Aaron Margosis. Recorded Monday, October 16th, 2017. Run As Radio is produced each week by Pwop Productions providing professional media and podcasting services online at pwop.com. You can follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash runasradio. Thank you, Brandon. This is Richard Campbell. And thanks for listening to Run As Radio. My guest today, returning after a number of years, Aaron Margosis. Who's a Windows nerd, focused primarily on cybersecurity. He is a frequent presenter and the co-author with Mark Rasinovich of Troubleshooting with Windows Internal Tools, a co-author of Microsoft's Mitigating Past the Hash Attacks and Other Credential Theft Techniques, and a primary member of the team that builds Microsoft Security Configuration Guidance. And he's published a number of useful tools over the years, including MakeMeAdmin, Lua Buglight, IE Zone Analyzer. LGPO, that's the Local Group Policy Object Utility, and Policy Analyzer. Welcome back, sir. Hey, it's great to be back. Thanks for having me. Uh, no worries. I was trying to catch up with you at Ignite, but Ignite was unbelievably huge. Like, just staggering how big that show was. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, Ignite has, uh, they, they've turned that into a very, very, very big conference. Last year at Atlanta, uh, they used a conference center that normally would hold I think four or five separate conventions that aren't aware of each other right and they put one big convention in it I was only uh, the reason I wasn't able to catch up with these I was not in Orlando for very long oh yeah time. I came in the day before uh, did a couple sessions and then left the next morning
0: uh, that's I think that's the way to do a show race in deliver race out
1: well I, I normally like spending time at the conferences mm-hmm. I like spending time with customers I like spending time with my colleagues and Seeing people in person that I know only online. Right. So normally I like doing that. I wasn't able to do that this time.
0: I'm keen to dive into your, uh, in the, the latest version of Sys Internals, especially the Sys Internals Primer. But before we do that, can we talk a little bit about what it means to be a security configuration guidance? What is that?
1: Yeah, that's what we call them, our security baselines, mm-hmm. uh, where we recommend if you have a security conscious organization, a well managed, security-conscious organization, we recommend that there's a bunch of group policies that you want to enforce. Just don't allow anybody to change the debug program's privilege to grant it to anything other than administrators, for example. Lock down Internet Explorer, Microsoft Edge, and so forth to keep users from making security decisions on their own. Things like that. We've been developing them for a long time, and we interact a lot with other uh, security experts, including many from the United States government, the DOD, and things like that, to the Center for Internet Security, to come up with a set of baselines that can be broadly applied to pretty much any security-conscious organization running Windows. And we do this in a way you can apply it using active directory group policy. You can apply it using local group policy. And we're working on tools to be able to configure the exact same things through desired state configuration, PowerShell desired state configuration DSC, which is kind of becoming a de facto standard for or another standard for server management. Yeah. But we believe can also be used for desktop management in some environments. And then there's also mobile desktop management MDM. There's not a one-to-one match between the settings you can configure through group policy and MDM, but we're lining up as many as we can and including that guidance as well. So is this
0: ultimately manifest as the LGPO tools or are the, the just it's a set of, of group policies to apply on mass?
1: Yes. We deliver basically a zip file uh that contains a spreadsheet listing all the available group policy settings and the ones specifically that we say here's how we configure the subset of those we recommend configuring. It has GPO backups which you can import into Active Directory Group Policy or apply directly to local group policy. Uh-huh. And that's where the LGPO tool comes in. Uh, you can use that to manage local group policy because there weren't any automated tools really before the, this and its immediate predecessors became available. There's some additional tools and things like that that uh, come in the zip file. Yeah. I think policy analyzer is part of the bundle too, right? So yeah, LGPO and Policy Analyzer can be downloaded from the Microsoft Download Center, and we have a particular page that lists these features. Policy Analyzer is a really useful tool for looking at group policies. Uh, it ingests GPO backups, and then you can look at uh, multiple sets of GPOs at once, combine them into a single set, treat them as a single unit, and compare them to others to see How does this set of uh, GPOs differ from the last set that we had? How has the security guidance changed between Windows 8.1 and Windows 10, for example? Uh uh Or here's the GPO we're going to apply to our organization. How does it compare? to Microsoft security guidance or to the DISA STIG if you happen to have a GPO of that available. right? And you can take that, you can export that out to Excel spreadsheets and a variety of other things you can do with it. So, a very, very uh, useful tool. I use it a lot. A lot of my colleagues use it and I've gotten a lot of positive feedback from people who've downloaded and used it.
0: i got to think it's really powerful to be able to compare one set of policies to another because it gets overwhelming. It's really hard to sit down and look through everything. So just to be able to, to say, ah, oh, okay, show me that versus the this and, and be a little less surprised
1: yeah if the primary way that you're comparing group policies is by printing out a gpo report in html format you're in hell <laughs> you're in a lot of pain yes yes you are <laughs> and it's really easy to miss subtle differences and this tool will pick up all those little changes so like you've got a setting that is supposed to be represented as a string. You've got it as a D word. That's really hard to find looking at GPO reports, but Policy Analyzer will flag that.
0: And I do keep my eye on the security guidance blog. That's mostly you, isn't it?
1: So I have a colleague named Rick Monk mm-hmm. who deserves a huge amount of credit for what goes into that. I end up doing the writing, so I end up uh, writing the blog posts. I'm oh, okay. you know, responsible for uh, a lot of what goes into it as well and a lot of the analysis and things like that, but it's not just me doing it. It's Rick uh, to a large part. And then uh, we have a team in Redmond that's supporting us a lot and providing a lot of help with that. And then, of course, like I said, a lot of that involves other colleagues at Microsoft, other security experts at Microsoft, members of the security community, including the Center for Internet Security and security experts within the U.S. government, DoD, NSA, et cetera. But yeah, I, I do end up writing a lot of the posts I apparently I like writing
0: a lot. <laughs> <laughs> apparently you do, yeah. So it's, it's, it's certainly a steady stream and it's certainly something I keep my eye on. Now, there used to be a tool called the Security Compliance Manager, but I, I think it went away earlier this year, didn't it?
1: Yeah, we finally had to retire it. It was a really great idea, the SCM, Mm -hmm. but not a very good implementation. It was incredibly complex and it was very expensive to maintain. It was very expensive to continue creating content to be imported into the SCM. And it was all GPO focused. It was really not a good tool for looking at anything besides GPO. Right. And so we decided we're going to retire that. We're going to try to provide as much of the value as we can through other means. And instead of having one massive do everything program, we can create a lot of smaller programs, you know, fulfill specific needs. So we've got LGPO, which is a standalone tool that does a lot of local group policy management, can parse registry that poll files, things like that. For doing compares and export to Excel, we've got Policy Analyzer. Uh If we're doing things with desired state configuration, we're not going to incorporate that into LGPO or Policy Analyzer. We'll create a new tool. So having a small set of tools that work together becomes a whole lot more maintainable and a lot less expensive. We get a lot of flexibility by doing that. And so, yeah, we had to retire SCM because uh, it was just not maintainable anymore. And one of the limitations of its design meant that it had to be updated for every single operating system release. If we release a new baseline right. and a new version of Windows has a new well-known security identifier, the tool had to be updated to recognize that. Mm-hmm. That's, that's not sustainable.
0: No, it's, it's a ton of work for you guys, for sure. And I, I do see that the Microsoft Security Compliance Toolkit, the, the new thing that came out just a couple of months ago, you have separate baseline files for each version of Windows that it currently supports. I think there's like three or four versions of Windows 10 in there at this point.
1: Right. Yeah. So we, we uh, generate a new set of baselines for each Windows release, mm-hmm. right? So the Fall Creators Update has new security settings that are available that weren't available before. Right. We create a new baseline that looks at those and determines, are any of these settings important? If you're going to the fall creators update, should you turn some of these on? At the same time, we're also evaluating settings that we've recommended in the past and deciding, do we need to continue supporting this? We're trying to make the guidance as lean as possible. We don't want to enforce a million default settings if it's really unlikely anybody's going to change those defaults. It becomes expensive and time consuming for people to spend their time, you know, trying to enforce things that, you know, there's really no net gain. There's no net security benefit because it's not something that anybody is going to be compromised through. Yeah. So that's a roundabout way of saying, yes, there's a new baseline for each operating system release. And so we, we commit to releasing a new baseline and our, our plan is to release it at the same time that it becomes available to the public. So the fall creators update. Is coming out, I think, any day now, but we intend to have the final version of that security guidance out when it gets released before it's even recommended or, or uh, assigned to broad release. So when people start evaluating it, that's when we want to have that security guidance out so you can have the security guidance be part of the evaluation so that there's no surprises when you go to broad deployment of that Windows 10 version. We all had a chance to test everything.
0: Yeah, that's what I like about policy analyzers, that you can really see what the differences are. And if you want to, on a testbed machine, apply a few of those policies and then look at the behavior of the machine, how has it changed. Sometimes it's, it's not always obvious with the impact of a given policy actually has on the behavior of an application or an operating system
1: no that's right and uh, sadly the descriptions of the, of what the settings are sometimes isn't entirely accurate sometimes. Um, sometimes documentation just oh yeah sometimes documentation is not accurate yeah that's one reason we recommend don't try to reinvent that wheel don't go through every single security setting read the documentation and try to figure out is this something we need go with well-known and proven solutions, things where you're applying guidance that other people have applied so there's known and expected results because a lot of times when people just go through all the different security settings that are available and pick out, like, this one looks like a good one to use, there may be unintended side effects. Mm -hmm. And I wrote a blog post called Sticking with Well-known and Proven Solutions a number of years ago that called out some of these things. And there was one customer... That I know of that uh, applied a security setting that seemed like a good idea at the time. Uh, if they, they read the description, they said, yeah, that's, that would be a good thing to apply. Well, that caused people not to be able to see their pay stubs on Friday afternoon. Ooh. Yeah. These PDF files were coming down over HTTPS as they should. <laughs> and then the security setting was saying, don't save that to the disk. Yep. There you go. Right. So, you know, don't drop in the temporary internet files. And so, yeah, when the web browser went to go open that PDF, it wasn't there. It
0: was missing. Yeah. And uh,
1: it, took, it took a long time to figure out what they had done to cause that problem because yeah. they'd gone so far off the beaten path, got this really weird result that, you know, all the guesses that we had about what could be causing it turned out not to be the case. It turned out to be a security setting that they had applied that nobody had remembered the side effects of that would be because no one had bothered turning it on because a long time ago people figured out this isn't a good setting to use.
0: Yeah. yeah, and not until you go through that. Hey, one last thing on on the whole compliance side of thing. The SCM, as I recall, and this is a number of years ago, supported a, uh, what was supposed to be a very standardized protocol for security specifications the scap uh, the content on measurement
1: scap yeah i think i think the uh the mitre people i think like to call it scap scap I'm, yeah not sure why but yeah so scm did not really update its implementation of it mm-hmm. and we really saw very little demand i mean interestingly i know uh, we we've got a lot of people working in the government space but we did not see a whole lot of demand for continuing to do things using SCAP. It didn't seem to me that SCAP evolved much either, right? It was interesting
0: five, six years ago, and it just sort of seems to have stopped.
1: Yeah, that's been my observation as well. And uh, you look at how complex it is. I didn't want to write that code. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, that's fair. Uh, we had a lack of interest and a lack of interest in, in writing code. So, uh, yeah, we're going to go with DSC. We think that that's going to be a lot more maintainable, a lot more broad use. And highly capable.
0: So still, um, there's still much more coming on the compliance side here, obviously. You guys are yeah. moving towards new approaches. Yeah. Uh, Aaron, give me one second here to pay the bills. This episode of Run As Radio is brought to you by the Humanitarian Toolbox. Humanitarian Toolbox builds open source software for disaster relief organizations. One of our leading projects, called Already, focuses on getting volunteers into the right place at the right time. HDBox is deploying this application in the field in the first half of 2017, and they need your help. Go to HDBox.org for more information or to make a tax-deductible donation. HDBox is a 501c3 U.S. registered charity. All right, we're back. This is Richard Campbell talking to Aaron Margosis, And we uh, actually spent the first half of the show digging into to SCM and the new uh, compliance toolkit, which you never know how long you can talk about group policy. It's one of those funny things. Uh, certainly, you know, more important than we realize, I think, most of the
1: time. Yeah, if you need to put people to sleep, it's the, it's very effective.
0: On the, on the other hand, it is the preventative tool. So many exploits and things ultimately get knocked down by good group policy in the first place.
1: Well, that's the idea. <laughs> so keep end users from making security
0: decisions as much as possible. Right. Yeah. Don't put them in a situation where they have to make the right choice. Make sure those choices are already made. Yeah, one of the sessions you had at ignite, you spoke to this idea of the SysInternals Primer series, which I'm thrilled that this exists because I still am stunned at how many people just don't know their way around SysInternals. Mm-hmm. So, what is the Primer series?
1: So, the Primer series was so Mark Russinovich does uh, has been doing a series of talks, Case of the Unexplained, where he. Talks through troubleshooting uh-huh. using primarily the system internals tools. Been a very very popular session at TechEd and Ignite and other conferences like that. He's a very good speaker and a very popular speaker. So a colleague of mine named Tim Reckmeyer came up with the idea of it would be really useful to have a session that doesn't focus so much on the explaining the troubleshooting around. Here's a particular problem and here's how the problem manifested and here's you know how we went about solving it and focus instead just on the tools themselves and try to cover more about the details of the tools uh and the, the features of the tools. And so I took that on and I've been doing the system journals primer either alone or with a co-speaker. Oh, for uh, a number of years. I think back as far as 2010. Wow, I might have started that. Yeah. So this time we renamed it because you know Ignite wants to use different naming conventions and mm-hmm. things like that. And I can't remember the title we used this time, but it was the system internals tools make you better at your job. There you go. I think is uh, what the what the title was this time. Yeah, so it, it continues. So I, I came back around to talking primarily about the primary tools in the set because I talked about process monitor and process explorer and auto runs a long time ago. But mm-hmm. it's always useful to you know, there's going to be an audience that has not seen it. And so talking about those again, they're the most important tools in the set. Lately, I've been starting with autoruns because if you have friends or family and they've got a problem on their computer, I think autoruns is one of the primary tools you go to because chances are they got something on their computer that shouldn't be there it's not doing them any good. And so that's what I start with nowadays is, is auto runs and start with that and show how uh, you can remove things temporarily or permanently. You can get a lot more detail about what they are. You can query virus, total web service about whether this is known bad or not. So very capable tool. So that's, that's what I've been starting with. And I talk about process, Explorer, process monitor this time at Ignite, I talked about something that I don't think we've covered, Mark or I have covered much in the past, and that is running process monitor for a very long time, looking for specific types of events without draining system resources. And so there's different ways of doing long-running traces with process monitor without killing your system. And so I demonstrated how that was used. I talked a little bit about the, the problem, but then talked about all the different ways of of running process monitor for a long time in an efficient way without consuming all your system resources. What is the trick to that? Is it just only sampling every so
0: often, just dialing down the the rate of data collection?
1: So by default, when you run process monitor Mm -hmm. and it starts collecting data, it saves it to the virtual memory of the process monitor process. Okay. And eventually... You know, that consumes, I mean, the the virtual memory is however many gig, but you are eventually going to be constrained by things like the page file. Yep. You're going to be impacting the system because you're consuming a lot of data into the virtual memory of this one process. So one of the options is only hold a certain amount of data and start dropping off the older data. So it's like keeping a circular buffer for those who write that type of code. Where the older events get dropped off and you're only saving the last million events or something like that. Or, you know, I can't remember the granularity, but you can specify, don't save everything, just the newest stuff. Another way is instead of saving to virtual memory to save to backing files. And so you, you give it a file name and a file path and it'll save it to a file and disk instead. So now you're consuming disk resource instead of memory resource. And presumably, depending on the size of your disk, you can, you know, typically disks are much, much bigger than the RAM you have and the page file you have. So you can save a whole lot more that way. And then a third way, which is the one I demonstrated primarily, was drop filtered events. So you set filters in process monitor to show only specific events. When you're running a trace and you have a filter applied, and you set the setting that says drop filtered events. It doesn't even save event data if it's not covered by the filter. Nice. So yeah, so I was, I figured out exactly what registry value I was looking for. What's if something is modifying this particular registry value. What is it? I set a filter looking only at that path and then set drop filtered events. And then I ran the, the tool for hours waiting for a problem to reoccur. And it eventually did. And I was able to see it. I'd captured a couple dozen events, very, very small system impact to monitor the system for a very, very long time using process monitor and find exactly what I'm looking for without killing the system. You sort of get
0: in, now you're sort of that black box mode now where you have a constant record of the last X
1: minute much time for the system. Yeah, with circular buffer one, yeah, right. that, that is true. Yeah. But with drop filter events, I accidentally left process monitor running for three days. Oh, wow. Yeah, and I'd only fewer than 100 events, I think, total. Hmm. So I was able to continue to monitor the system for this particular event type, and it had practically no impact on the system resource at all. Nice. So... I thought it was a rather useful talk this time.
0: Yeah, no, very powerful just to remind people that there are ways to do these things. And it feels like the kind of things you want to have in place on machines where you're just not sure how healthy they really are, Mm -hmm. but they're not so broken that you can immediately point to a reproducible problem. Right. It's that that sense of how do I manage a transient with an angry user? (laughs) Just like this machine doesn't work well, and every time you look at it, it works just fine.
1: Yeah, if you, if you can set the filter, if you know what it, what type of thing you're looking for and can set a a type of constrained filter, you can run process monitor for a very, very long time Mm -hmm. looking just for that event type or that event information without killing the system. So, yeah.
0: That that, that particular issue. And auto, you know, I couldn't help myself while, while we're chatting here, just fired auto runs. And, you know, you think the built-in tools are good enough, and then when you watch it walk through the registry and pull up references for component calls and things, like stuff that's just not easy to do otherwise. Like there's a lot of homework in figuring out what's really being pulled up when you boot a machine.
1: Yeah, auto runs is a great tool for identifying tons of stuff you'd never know to look for. Yeah. And a lot of the entries that are in auto runs, a lot of the auto start extensibility points that auto runs looks at are in auto runs because malware authors have been abusing those auto start extensibility points. Yeah, for a long time. Yeah. And so it's not just the run key and things like that, you know, which you know was very common back in the 90s. There's tons of places they can hook into the system and auto runs captures a whole lot of those and identifies a whole lot of those. It's good. It's I'm just looking at the list here. We forget how many
0: tools are in the suite in a mere 20 megs or so for, for everything. But it's a lot of different smart tools, mm-hmm. not just Process Monitor, Process Explorer. Any other favorites? I mean, runs obviously is an easy win. The moment you run it for somebody who knows anything about Windows and you see this list, you're like, oh, wow, right. I forgot about this. Are there ones that just have that immediate impact?
1: Let's see, Um tools I run. So I run SIG check and access check very often, but mm-hmm. that's just because of the security work I do. Zoomit, I love running Zoomit because, you know, especially with these high DPI monitors and yeah. sometimes things just end up way too small. Yeah. Zoomit was designed to be a presentation aid, but it's really good just as a magnifier also. So you can magnify and annotate the screen and send people screenshots and things like that.
0: It's great for bug reporting. It's just a great way to... Zoom in on a piece of screen, grab that. Like when you're trying to communicate with someone about a problem you're having remotely, mm-hmm. it's a great tool for that. Mm-hmm. Everybody should be good at that. And I'm using the live sysinternals to just grab them on the fly.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can, you can just download straight from, from, uh, from the web and run them directly. You know what? I kind of like PS service. So interesting thing about PS service is one of the tools in the PS tool suite. It's a command line tool for looking at or configuring services. And the tool that comes in Windows now called SC, uh-huh. which is a service configuration tool built into Windows, yep. stole a lot of its syntax, et cetera, from PS service. <laughs> so, or I shouldn't say stole, uh, uh, was inspired by. There you it, go. PS so <laughs> a, lot of the, a lot of the commands, a lot of the interface is exactly the same as PS service. One of the things I like about PS service is when you do a query, you get all the information at once right. instead of piecemeal. So if you want to know, like, here's the service I'm querying, what's the display name, what's the, you know, how is it configured, I think the, the query command gives you more information than the SC1 does. So with SC, you have to run a couple different commands if you want to see the display name as well as the state at the same time, so... Yeah, I've, I've come to run, find myself running PS service. This is a shortcut. I spent a lot of time at the command line. So
0: it does make me wonder why more of these tools simply aren't installed by default with Windows. I mean, clearly the process explorer uh, has inspired improvements to the task manager
1: too. Yes. And vice versa. Mm-hmm. Actually, it's kind of interesting how that, uh, dynamic has worked out. But yeah, the thing is, you know, process, if you had process explorer on every user's computer mm-hmm. and every uninformed user just started running it and trying to figure out things based on that, that might cause more trouble than it's worth. It's, it's kind of an expert tool. Yeah. And also the servicing model would have to change as well. So Mark Rosinovich can, update a tool and publish an update immediately. And you know, actually, Windows has gotten, has a much faster servicing model now too. Mm-hmm. But Sysinternals is still uh, more flexible around that. So it, um, it still makes sense to me to keep them separate. As long as they're still available, you can get them. I think it works out fine just the way it is. Well, it
0: sure seems to be, and, and you're making it easy as possible to get. Like live.sysinternals.com, you couldn't get easier right it's there it is right easy to grab onto so uh what's next for you aaron uh where are we going to see you are, are you doing more conferences
1: i don't have anything scheduled right now um weird i do like doing conferences so hopefully i haven't looked you know what i've not really done any non microsoft hosted conferences or very very few and maybe i should do more of those for sure maybe someone needs to say hey come come do this talk here i did one actually i did one uh sammy Leho with Adminize in uh, Finland and in Helsinki invited me to talk at the Sysinternals 20th birthday party. And so I got to present uh, at a Sysinternals conference uh, that was hosted there. Nice. And I hear he's taken over content
0: planning for Tech Mentor now, too. So you might get roped into that as well.
1: As a matter of fact, I did TechMentor. There you go. Uh, a couple months ago. Yeah, he, <laughs> he brought me in there, too. That was very nice of him. But one of the things I've been working on a lot lately is application whitelisting. I think that's the next big step for uh, client-side security. You did a session with Chris Jackson on that, right? Yeah. Chris and I did a talk on that at Ignite. So, you know, we had a big push 10 odd years ago to get everyone to stop running as admin and start running things as standard user, right? And there's still been a huge security benefit from that. A takeover of a machine is not what it used to be unless you get full admin rights. And now uh, the thing is, though, that a lot of the malware authors have adapted as well. And mm-hmm. so ransomware typically doesn't require admin rights to execute. So we have to go to the next level. And there's only so much that and malware can do. Looking at it, at something coming down from the web and deciding do we allow this to run or not. Most of the time, the rule we're kind of moving toward is if a user downloads it and uh, it's not known good, don't allow it to run, period. Lock it up. Yeah. Yeah. And so I've been working on application whitelisting built around AppLocker. I'm going to be moving that more toward Device Guard. But for now, there are a lot of customers who are still on Windows 7. And there's some things we can do in in AppLocker that we can't yet do with Device Guard, which is now uh, Windows Defender Application Control. So it's been rebranded. I'm spending a lot of time working on that these days.
0: Yeah, that looks. It, I think we have some interesting bits coming from your general area right now, modernizing the security. I, I'm a big fan of the uh, Just Enough Administration, granularizing the mini as well. But mm-hmm. smarter use of the of GPOs and everything you're doing on the SC side, and along with these latest bits and with DSC involved, I got to think in the next few months or next year or so, we're going to have a new set of policy stories to tell for how we manage machines.
1: Yeah, with a lot of stuff coming with uh, you know increasing capabilities in the cloud and cloud integration, there's a whole lot of things that become available that were not possible a few years ago. Great.
0: Uh, Aaron is so great to talk to you again thanks again for having me it was great to talk with you again and we'll talk to you next time on Run As Radio